Hi, my name is Dominique, and together with my team, we produce the content for our weekly Swisspreneur episodes. I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is the best time ever to do something like this. Like, you will never have that much flexibility. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Dorina, you are the co-founder and CEO of Piavita, a company that offers medtech products for the equine industry and for veterinarians. A very warm welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks so much for being here. Pleasure to be a part of it. Before we talk about the Pia Vita story, um, I would like to talk a bit more about your personal background. Mm -hmm. If we look at it, you studied at the TU in Munich, uh, technology-focused business studies. Mm -hmm. You also earned your PhD at the University of St. Gallen. Um, that's a very well-reputable CV, I would say, in terms of academics. Then one might wonder, how do you actually you know, show up in the world of entrepreneurship? Why did you actually become an entrepreneur after all these studies and mm -hmm. uh, you know, that educational background? Yeah. Uh, very good question. Um, well, during my studies, I already worked for Bosch um, for almost four years uh, to finance my studies. Mm -hmm. And um, also then did my diploma thesis there in the US um, at Bosch also. And I really, really enjoyed that actually. But at some point, because I was always working in the innovation department, mm -hmm. I realized that that is almost a clash of culture. Like innovation in such a big corporation is really, really hard to bring together. <laughs> so for me, it was a little bit frustrating that not even the things that I've um, worked on during my first year at Bosch, it was still very far from bringing it to the market. Mm -hmm. So the timeline is just really different. And that I always felt is such a pity because there were also improvement potentials that could have been implemented really fast. Right. And uh, so I got very much attracted to the field of entrepreneurship and felt like this could really be the one where I could feel more comfortable in. Mm -hmm but I had no clue. <laughs> so I had no experience. And I also didn't have like a really good idea where I felt, okay, this might be it or anything like that. So I actually applied for a job at the University of St. Gallen, mm -hmm. um, which was the uh, managing director role for the Center of Entrepreneurship, um, which was about supporting students to help them create their ventures. That's also and, we actually met. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's where we met. And um, that was a brilliant job like that was so much fun that was really really cool um but my boss back then basically offered me that i could also my, do my phd because i worked at the chair mm -hmm. and i felt well that is a really cool combination and a really good okay. chance I had no idea what i got myself into <laughs> and um that was good for the time being but also during the PhD I realized okay I'm definitely more on the practical side mm -hmm. um, I'm glad I did it I'm glad I, I survived it um, <laughs> but after that it was clear okay I really want to go into into the startup scene in in one way or another and, and what actually helped you to get started there I mean you probably also made some connections during your job at the University of St. Gallen um, yeah was there any you know certain event or a certain thing that really helped you to to make the jump and actually start your own company or was it more a gradual thing 
It was a gradual thing. I, I think um, I was always very, very impressed by all the startups, including you. <laughs> like really everybody who um, just did it, you know, that just jumped into it and and gave it a chance or and they were so in love with their ideas. Like uh, it's really hard to describe only if you if you then do it yourself, like you know how important this become this become like, like this get this whole idea gets in your in your life. Um, and that was something that really fascinated me. Um, but yeah, I don't think there was like this unique uh, thing where I said, okay, this is it. Uh, I also could, like, I still enjoy very much the coaching role. I'm still engaged in in uh, several coaching programs. I'm still doing guest lectures at the university. Um, so I really, really like that. And um, I think I will continue that in any way. So, so that's a good link that you always want to keep yes, active to a certain absolutely. degree. And then in 2016, you actually founded Pia Vita mm-hmm. um, together with, uh, you were also a life partner with Sasha, mm-hmm. your two co-founders. And I wonder, like, how do you actually go about fun- funding it? You know, there was like a technology-driven approach. Mm-hmm. Technology and also the harder parts mm-hmm. are super important to your business. Can you talk us a bit more about the early days, how you got started? Well, Sasha approached me, or we always talked a lot about innovation, um, about new technologies. He's like a really such a solution-driven person. So no matter what we do or where we are or what we see, he's always like, oh, we could do that so much better with new technology, <laughs> you know? So that was a constant discussion all time. So, um, but at some point he told me about um, a technology that he was working on um, that he really just wanted to get worked out like in his private uh, personal sphere for mountain biking. Um, and I just thought, yeah, it's just the next gimmick that he's like producing or building or prototype. Um, but then when we talked more and more about the actual potential, my first reaction was all actually, um, that I said, you know what? I think a lot of students at the highest gate would love to work on that. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, always were looking for cool technology for great products because the, the Sangalar students are not like that techie right so that is a really really good match so we tried to build like a proposal um, that I could hand over to a student team and while doing that proposal I kind of like fell in love with the idea of like hey this is actually really really cool and you could do a lot with that technology Um, and that yeah I never handed it over to any student. I just jumped on it myself. It was just too attractive yes. to do it yourself. <laughs> but you mentioned you started with the, the, the idea for using that for mountain biking, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did it then end up in the equine industry? That's like not just around the corner. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, we really had like a, a mind map in the beginning, like uh, looking at all the opportunities that we could apply it to. Uh, and we have worked on, on ideas in the animal scene beforehand. And we knew that this could be a really, really attractive market. And we also were experienced that there is not a lot in there yet. So that was like, there was an awareness that the animal scene could be a really attractive market to get into or to go into. Um, But the trigger point was actually our CTI coach back then who introduced us to the animal clinic here in Zurich um, because that opened the door for the veterinarian field, which is a very different field than in the end than the consumer, like the uh, um, animal owner part of it. Absolutely. And um, yeah, that's when, when the, the whole match 
was was done like the market technology we really had no idea back then like what would result out of this like mm -hmm. how the product would look like and so on but we felt like okay this could really be a good thing to get started on so there was no master plan but a good gut feeling yeah absolutely total gut feeling and a lot of uh love for an idea and not a real plan <laughs> i think that's uh, how many startups were probably born <laughs> Uh, one thing that when doing the research for this episode was really, uh, you know, stood out for me is that how big the actual equine market is. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I found the number of $300 billion annually. Mm -hmm. That's huge. And yeah. you wouldn't really expect that. Yeah. So what was also, you know, the, the market opportunity that you then saw after talking to the vets at the university clinic and so on that you saw, hey, we can actually build a business. Yeah, um, I still had no idea. Like in the really in the very beginning, it was way more important for me that we felt doing this has an impact. Mm -hmm. For me, it was very important to feel no matter how it turns out, it was worth trying. You know, mm -hmm. like um, in the beginning, I, I, we tried our very, very best to find a space and find an application where we had the feeling like this is important. This really makes a difference for um, whoever's life, like in the end of the veterinarians, but also of the horses. Um, so that was more important actually in the beginning. And we are not uh, equestrians. So we also did not know about that big opportunity. And then you right. prepare for investor pitches and you research those numbers and you're like, wow, this turns out like really, really good. Like no matter how how tiny the market share is, it's it's still a very, very valuable market to go in. Absolutely. And in an interview that I read from you, you also mentioned that, you know, the horse, uh, the horse care basically was also ripe for innovation, for disruption. What made this, like what gave you this feeling? How do you actually realize that this is really a good technical solution that is needed out there that is not existing at the moment. I think that is actually something where I really benefited from the, that coaching role I had before because I was in touch with so many different technologies and I heard so many stories, so many pitches um, where I knew, or at least I had a good feeling about where technology is in human care, for example, or what technologies are applied. We worked tons with the ETH students uh, to also match up uh, the, the St. Colin students, ETH students. So we knew what all these students, for example, um, are working on in human medical care. And then looking at where veterinarian care is, that's like such a drastical difference, like incredible far apart, um, which does not mean that the that the care is bad, just the possibilities are really, really limited. Mm -hmm. And um, compared to how highly educated veterinarians are, it's like a total mismatch. Like it was very, very obvious, actually. And um, yeah, so in the beginning, we were rather like, there must be something. And that is also something that we frequently hear, like, it's impossible that there's nothing even similar. Like, you're really the only one doing something like that, um, especially in the veterinarian um, industry. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that is how it how it kind of like turned out, which does not mean that it's easier because an industry that is so far off from from current technology is right. also like a little bit conservative and. Um, yeah, that's that's the that's the thing with radical innovation then. <laughs> and how do you actually tackle that challenge to then convince the veterinarians to actually adapt to a new technology? 
we start a very holistic journey with the customer right from the beginning. So um, it's, a, it's a long sales cycle. It's a long educational cycle also where we talk a lot, where we do a lot of content uh, marketing and things like that. Mm -hmm. We really try to understand the customer and um, his or her situation very well. Um, the product is also very versatile, so it can be applied in a lot of different settings. Um, and well, in the end, it also takes time. And then you work and work and work and try to make it work somehow. And then something like uh, COVID happens. And then <laughs> like just within weeks, digitization is on the headline of everything. And telemedicine is on the front line. And everything suddenly uh, works out so much easier and better. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you always have to be open for opportunities. So you really also felt the boost coming from COVID. Yes, partly. I mean, it also has its disadvantages, of course. Uh, it was very, very hard on us in terms of direct sales because we had a purely direct sales model also, like with this very individual approach. Mm -hmm. um, tons of events, fairs, conferences were canceled. Um, all of our practical sessions were canceled. So um, it has its pros and cons. But in the long run, we definitely see a huge increase of digitization telemedicine, which will be hopefully also a sustainable change in the industry. Absolutely. I'd also like to talk about another challenge that you also faced, because be before you actually started Pia Vita, there was also another startup that you co-founded called mm -hmm. DocSense, mm -hmm. where you actually worked on tracking the vitality data of docs. Mm -hmm. Why did you actually decide to to shut it down, and what were sort of the learnings that you took from from that first company to then apply to Piavita? So, overall, I think we were very naive. <laughs> in the, I mean, it was the first approach, and I was at the St. Gallen still. Uh, Sasha had his job. The third co-founder also had a full-time job, mm -hmm. and um, we heard about this uh, new thing of um, Indiegogo crowdfunding all of these different types of things. And we thought like, we could think about the one or the other product or the one or other thing that we could position there. Mm -hmm. So we thought of a concept and said, if it goes through, like if you get it funded, we are crowdfunding, we will make it. But there was like no, there was nothing there. You know, it was just an idea. It was right. just an, and you are so committed to that idea and you're so convinced that it will work out. Um, and well, we learned the hard way what does not work <laughs> exactly that, right? With not really thinking it through, not really progressing first until you present something. Um, and then in the end, it was also the founding team where we felt, okay, this is just not working um, on different levels, like um, also saying uh, still working, you know, like still having a full-time job and doing a startup you will realize very, very soon if you do not have enough flexibility, if you cannot commit enough time, it's just not working. And especially hard, it it becomes when um, some people are more committed or you feel like some people can invest more time and that can be very dependent on the job you have, for example. Um, so yeah, that uh, just failed. And we, on the other side, we also realized Sasha and I uh, worked already at Bosch together, mm -hmm. uh, but in different departments. So it was more or less like, okay, we have a very complementary skill set. We have a very complementary background, um, but we never really worked like on one project. But with that project, we actually realized, hey, this works out great. Like it was absolutely clear who does what. Um, we 
we feel we have the same speed, which mm -hmm. is which is not that normal. Like right. in in the teamwork, I mean, we all know that in in student at, when you're a student, right? In teamwork, there's always like the slower one, the lazy one, the fast yeah. one, the super motivated one. Um, I think we were both always the one. Everybody else was annoyed because we always want to do more. <laughs> so this is very like it's a very productive way of working together. And that was definitely then a push to say, well, okay, then perhaps we just have to look for something else. Um, and we did it drastically different than the second time um, in in all aspects. Like to really try to push it further, um, get started on the technology, get started on the product. And progress first to a real level where you can um, show something, where you can demonstrate something, and then right. think about if it's worth it and if you really want to do it. Did you already jump in full time from the beginning? And uh, no, we uh, we but it was a good timing because I was um, in the middle of finalizing my PhD thesis. I knew I didn't want to stay in research, at least not hundred mm -hmm. percent. Um, so. We did it first, like it was first like night shifts, weekends, and then actually pretty fast we realized when this matchmaking was done, when the market product uh, or technology match was there. Um, and also when we saw, okay, there is a medical application for it, um, that was when we realized, okay, that needs a lot of commitment. Right. And then, uh, yeah, then we decided to to quit and do it full time. How did that feel, you know, to to find this fit to the market? Uh, was this like a, a special click feeling that you noticed there? Or what made you also particularly confident that this would actually work out in the end? <laughs> Hard to say. Really a very good question. Looking back, I can't believe how naive we were and how um, like narrow-minded in, in a lot of things we were also. But sometimes that always also helps, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you're so excited about this and then one thing works and then the next thing comes up and then you um, also like generate interest from market and you hear people saying like, this would be incredible if this mm -hmm. really works out, if you can do this. Um, and that is some something so motivating. Um, yeah. And I mean, a lot of people in our environment said like, you are crazy. Like you have such a good job. You have just uh, like uh, finalized your PhD and now you want right. to do something for horses. Like why? And are how? You crazy? And you're like, oh, are you crazy? Um, what did you reply to these people? That now is the time. And that is really something that uh, I, I, I know, I don't know if you remember, but that is really something that I always told the students also, like, this is the best time ever to do something like this. Like, you will never have that much flexibility. And that is also what I felt like I'm at the end of my, my studies, uh, PhD studies. Right. I want to search for a new job anyways. Mm -hmm. Now, why not give this a chance and take a year? You know, I mean, others yeah. take a year for traveling or, I don't know, for social work. Um, and I decided to to spend a year or two on, on this uh, idea and see if it works out. And you, you also thought like, if it doesn't work out, you could always still find a job, right? Yeah, um, at least I hope so. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, that wasn't necessary. Absolutely, yes. Another challenge that you also sort of solved is the combination between hardware and software, mm -hmm. something that is not like that easy or that simple to solve because you usually, you know, also investors say as soon as you have hardware involved, things get 10 times mm -hmm. more complicated. Mm -hmm. 
How do you experience that challenge? I can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> well, also one of the points that we didn't uh, fully realize when we started. Um, when we started, it was all about the sensor technology. Like we all, it was all about we can measure um, very, very precise things through layers without direct skin contact. And mm. only then we realized okay, we can only start with that. And we always assume there must be tons of partners out there that we can then collaborate with that do like all the rest. Um, so we really started as a hardware startup. And then we only realized, okay, now we need something to actually uh, like transform the data. We need to communicate. We need um, all the systems that make it happen in real time. Mm -hmm. We need the cloud systems. We need... Um, artificial intelligence, which was actually not even a, a thing <laughs> when we started. It feels like that was a, um, that was not a topic back then. Um, and then in the end, we also needed an app. We needed a software. We needed something to look at. And step by step by step, all of these things came together. And uh, before we could realize we were in the middle of it and uh, developed everything. And uh, yeah, looking back, this is really one of the things that I'm definitely most proud of, most proud of the team, mm -hmm. um, that no matter what came up, like everybody was immediately going, okay, we can do this. Like, um, we have no idea how to do this, but we, we will figure it out. And we found a solution for everything. And so today we really have the full thing and it was all um, developed in-house to um, with partners, of course, but um, like the core was always in-house. Um, so, and that actually led to Piavita becoming more of a software startup and more of a startup offering a solution rather than a tool. Sounds like you did a good hiring job there. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how did, how and where do you actually find these people to then also, you know, develop this, uh, this hardware and software combination? This is very difficult to say like so many different areas of course we have high we hired people um with regular applications um mm. but we also hired uh, friends people we have known for a long time um we sometimes started with freelancers and when we felt okay they are just a really really good fit or um, they could take over more and more things um, more than we expected perhaps in the beginning then we recruited them um Quite some people were also recommended then from the team. So we they recruited friends and so on and so forth. Um, but there, I, I don't think there is like that one solution. Also very dependent on the roles. Um, best is always if somebody from the team has somebody in mind. Oh, that's like yeah. really, really good. Then you also ensure the culture fit to a yeah. certain degree. Yeah. Now you have offices in Zurich and also in Berlin. Uh -huh. um, why did you decide to go to Berlin after having an office here in Zurich? Well, we needed a warehouse in the European Union. That was like the main step because uh, in the very beginning, we sent um, the products to my parents' place. We sent the products <laughs> to a friend who then also started to work uh, for us. Um, and then we realized, okay, we, we need to have a warehouse at least. Mm -hmm. So we looked at some um, office space in Berlin and... Um, there was really the decision, either something tiny and then we can we can recruit max six people there mm -hmm. um, or something quite big, but for a really good price. Um, and we said, well, why not? And um, it was actually worth it because now we really have a very, very nice office in Berlin, um, super nice atmosphere, and we have all the flexibility for, for recruiting people. 
Awesome. And what roles do you have in Berlin and what roles do you have here in Switzerland? Um, varies a little bit on the phase uh, we are in um, because production is, is fully in Switzerland. So that was all a lot of coordination. Um, development core parts are still in, in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Berlin, typically it's marketing, customer service. Um, also, they are actually partly here as well. Um, uh, data science, accounting is in Berlin. So, But in general, we always like announce new positions in all offices. We also have an office in the US now. So um, it really depends on what role is open and um, it doesn't really matter too much to us where somebody starts. Right. You already mentioned it, the office in the US, the third Mm -hmm. one, uh, why did you then decide to also go to the US? Was that mainly market-driven or also investor-driven? No, that was fully market-driven. We had the investors before already, so um, Mm -hmm. the office came quite later. Uh, We were actually planning to go to the US market late 2019, so just recently, but then we have um, generated quite some interest from equine clinics there. And we thought, well, let's just give it a shot. If you can collect many, many enough or enough pre-orders, uh, we, could, we could actually go to the U.S. sooner than we expected. And that's what we did. And it actually turned out that 2019 then became a stronger U.S. year than European year. So the U.S. proved that they are really, really technology driven. Mm-hmm. They're very open towards digitization already. They are quite connected also already in their clinics. So that makes it a little bit easier for us. Also. Shorter sales cycles, right? Exactly. And how do you actually then already win over the first clinics and the first clients in the US without physically being there or at least not having an office yet? Yeah, well, we had an uh, employee right from the beginning. Um, and actually it was very driven by her as well mm-hmm. because she approached us. She approached us in uh, 2018 and said, hey, I read about you guys you need to come to the US. Like this is the perfect market for this product. And I would love to um, like support you in, in bringing it to the market. What's her background? Was she also- She's an absolutely question. Like she is a deep down uh, lady, <laughs> woman in the, in the horse world. She has actually tried to, or started her own startup in the, in the horse world in the nineties already. Wow. Um, and was very aware about the situation of the industry, like that it's like really ready for innovation. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so the absolute perfect match. And did you also bring a personal network that you mm-hmm. could basically use for the sales? Yes. Okay. And she also has this unique character to just have this immediate click with the people there and with the equestrians, especially with the vets also. And then you built the business and opened the office right after, after this first plan worked out. Uh, yeah, so it was it was a little bit like her challenge. I said, well, we would love to do that. But, mm-hmm. you know, before we don't really know if there are true customers there that right. we can attract already now in a very early stage of the company, of the product also, um, we don't know if we can do it. And um, then I went also to the US. We went also to a very large conference and we immediately signed pre-orders. And that was like the go to say, okay, then then you definitely have proven that this market is ready for us. Did you have a certain amount of pre-orders that you said, that's the goal we need to reach? And then we open an, an office there? Yeah, I actually said, even if it's just two or three clinics, uh, we would go there and then 
before, like within two months, I think we had tier 10 pre-orders. Wow. We had the number one equine uh, vet clinic um, who already signed. And so it was like absolutely clear. That's a very clear sign. <laughs> yeah. So your employees were like one of the very important supporters of the whole mission. Uh, looking back there, uh, another important force are usually investors. Uh, you closed a big financing round with True Ventures, uh, a well-known venture capital firm in the U.S. Can you talk us a bit more about how you actually closed them as one of them over as investors? That was um, strongly driven by the venture leaders, actually. So in 2017, I was part of the venture leaders in Silicon Valley. Um, mm -hmm. And we had a pitch contest at Swissnext. And Tony Schneider from True Ventures was in the jury. So I think that was when he first heard about us. Um, we also went to True Ventures, actually, I remember, uh, to the office there and met Tony quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, like he is just a, a great person. So it was a really, really good conversation we had afterwards. Um, he was truly interested in what we do. I explained like that we were really, really early in the market. We like not even on the market. We 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 had a prototype, and I explained to him what our plans are. And he's Swiss, so he came to Switzerland. Then half a year later, and I thought, well, that's a great way to to connect back. And I with like I had no hope or whatsoever that we could fit into their portfolio. Like there was really no thought about even considering that why not i don't know because uh, we we were not that self-confident i would say um we we just started conversations with swiss investors it was very tricky um of course because we, we were super early in the market mm -hmm. and i met with tony really just to connect because i thought well that's definitely a good connection to have and sure. uh, the silicon valley or or west coast connection in general we knew us is a huge opportunity for us and we met also adventure um venture lab um for for a fireside chat i think and I was very impressed because we met and he knew everything. Like he knew everything we have talked about half a year ago. Wow. Uh, he knew exactly what we were planning to achieve. Okay. Um, and I actually brought the product. So I really said like, yeah, we, we got it done. Like this is the hardware. This is the part that we wanted to get done until we meet um, or until he uh, until half a year later. And um, yeah, it was then typical US style. He said, that's cool. Let's have another call. And then we had two more calls. And two weeks later, we had the term sheet. And uh, two months later, the, the round was closed. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely crazy. We, we also met Tony about two years ago. And he was also a guest on the Swisspreneur show. Yeah. And I remember when we actually talked about Pia Vita, mm -hmm. he said he was so impressed that you were exactly where he said you would be <laughs> half a year ago. And that I think that really was this this sort of confidence and trust that he was looking for, mm -hmm. okay, they can execute. Mm -hmm. You were exactly at the spot and that basically led, okay, let's do an investment. Cool. Yeah. That was like mind-blowing to see, okay, this is really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. How would you actually, you know, you were also trying to raise funds from Swiss investors. Mm -hmm. You said that this was a bit more tricky. Um, why was that more tricky? Was it because of the amount that you were looking for or just in general, a slower and longer mm -hmm. uh, fundraising process? What made it so tricky here in Switzerland? The, yeah, the process is just lengthy. Um, it's it's just something that you have to consider. In the end, it, I felt the the 
the worst part, if you can say so, is actually to bring these things together. You know, the timing is so difficult. If you start um, investor discussions in the US and you say, uh, well, we want to close in four or five months, mm -hmm. they, they basically tell you, well, then come back in two months because <laughs> why would we talk now? Um, if you if you go to a Swiss investor and you say, well, we want to close in four months, they will tell you, well, that's quite ambitious. And so you never really know how to get started, you know, because for the one, it's too early. For the others, it's almost too late. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're almost close there, you still don't know if there's a huge opportunity with U.S. investors. So um, we just found that this brings a really, really good addition to the whole dynamic also of Pia Vida because we knew, okay, now is the time to progress like really, really fast. Um, and we wanted to progress really fast also. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really a perfect match. Sounds like a great timing and yeah, yeah the good match. Let's also look at the current standing where you actually stand at the moment of mm -hmm. your company. Uh, on your website, you, you, you mentioned that you have 230 active veterinarians using your product, mm -hmm. more than 6,500 hours of vital recordings. Well, that's actually a little bit outdated already. Okay, so it's already <laughs> it's more. A, it's probably more, also yeah. because of COVID, they exactly. use much, much more. So, uh, yeah, so the recordings uh, specifically have increased over 250, I think almost 300% during COVID. Wow. So so that is, we celebrated 1,000 hours of recording a month in February. Like this was really a huge milestone. It was like, oh my gosh, like now we are in a stage where you can really like get, like start working on such a different scale with the data. And then we had um, 1,800 in March and 2,500 in April. And it was like, oh, I could have never dreamed of these, like this amount of data. So um, that is very, very valuable to our business, to our um, strategic approach also, um, and to also get, like, use more, even more on the data and software side uh, compared to the hardware side. So this really shows this hockey stick growth that every startup is looking for. Well, hopefully, uh, doesn't always reflect one-on-one -on -one in the sales, unfortunately, because sure. it's really two different stories, what you do with existing customers and what you do with uh, new prospects. And uh, COVID made it really, really hard for us to actually get in, um, like have this personal approach. But it also taught us a lot that um, if you're forced to new ways, um, you also see new opportunities, new potential with digital sales, with uh, with um, um, remote sales. So um, it also, again, opened new doors and new opportunities. Absolutely. And you're also active in eight countries, I think, nowadays, right? Yes. Exactly. That's also, uh, I think, a very important milestone to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, ask an, an American and they rather ask like, why, why do you consider like all the different countries? Like it's all right. Europe, right? <laughs> and it's like, no, <laughs> no, 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 it's not. It's like, that's, uh, that's a complex uh, discussion. Like, yeah, Europe in that regard is, is quite complicated. Um, and also Switzerland is not Sweden, right? <laughs> <laughs> Another point to mention, yes. <laughs> so I'm really curious to learn more about the future. Like what are your future plans? Mm -hmm. What can we also expect to read and hear from Pia Vita in the future? Uh, well, thanks for asking. I, I, I can hardly, it's hard to, where to start. Uh, one of the most uh, things that I'm definitely most excited is um, that we got another um, support from InnoSwiss. 
So we started a collaboration with the federal stud um, in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And they are now investigating the potential in as an alarm system for breeders um, for the birth of uh, foals, uh, but also for ovulation cycles. So these are two topics that we always wanted to do, but it's a quite a different um, approach, let's mm -hmm. say. And also the customers are different. So it's definitely an um, a new and very, very uh, big opportunity on the market for us. Um, and on the technology side, we are very much progressing on the data science part and also the whole um, cloud solution. So we are more and more opening up towards uh, new applications, um, are also thinking about um, strategic collaborations to see how we can apply the technology to other industries, to other fields, mm -hmm. uh, because now we feel we have um, shown like that it works <laughs> and right. it works in a specific market, but it can be replicated in a lot of different um, industries. And, and uh, we're very excited about this, uh, all those new opportunities. Any particular industry that you have in mind? Ah, uh, no, that's a surprise. Okay, so we, we stay tuned and stay curious <laughs> right. about that. So before we actually conclude the episode, um, just one more question about gadgets, personal resources, and so on. Is there anything that you would recommend to other entrepreneurs out there or any resources that actually helped you tremendously? It could be blogs or books or anything of that sort uh, to get you started with entrepreneurship and startups? Well, I'm perhaps a little bit biased, but um, everybody really should check out the content of True Ventures. They have a huge uh, content base, the True University also, um, where they record a lot of sessions and they have a super good hand for incredible speakers. Um, so you, it's very practical and you can learn tons. Um, other than that, I really just try to be in the loop on, on any new um, technologies and things that come up. So, um, I don't know, um, Crunchbase, Startup Ticker, right. uh, like just being in the loop, um, spend some time on events, uh, try to network as best as possible. That really um, opens up a lot of new opportunities. Are there any events in particular that you can recommend? Ooh, difficult. Uh, I'm very um, driven by where I am. <laughs> so sure, normally yeah, I travel sense. that much. So <laughs> I, I really just um, look up at meet up uh, what happens if I can join something um, or if there is somebody that I can just meet up. So um, I really try to make networking um, as efficient as possible. So mm -hmm. even just meeting someone for lunch, you have to have lunch anyways, right? So sure. why not meeting with somebody real quick? Um, or having a coffee break um, with somebody you wanted to talk for a really long time. Absolutely. And we didn't manage until today, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, that was a lot of fun, Darina. Thank you so much for sharing all these cool stories and insights. And we wish you the best of luck for the future. And I'm curious to see what you come up with. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. Stay connected with the Swisspreneur community through our LinkedIn and Instagram profiles. Make sure to subscribe to our show on whatever podcast platform you're using. See you next week for a brand new episode of The Swisspreneur Show.